This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 77. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 77 you're listening to. Just in case you thought you were listening to another episode, let's be clear, it is 77. And this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Gearslets.com, Focal Monitors, Audio Technica, and Universal Audio. It's good to have you all back with us. Got a great show. Got a very different show in terms of um, the take on audio and recording and what we do. Today, I'm having on my uh, my friend Andrew Stern, who is a broadcast IT engineer over at KFOG, where I've told you I've been recently uh, back doing some work at. And he not only works for KFOG, he actually works for a number of stations within this building. And he stopped by the house here and really gives us a glimpse of how audio and the world of IT collide, as I said in my uh, Facebook post on Friday. It's a whole different game than it used to be. Radio is done in such a different way. At least at this station it is. And he really kind of uh, walks us through that. He also talks about this, and I think a lot of you will um, enjoy this specific part of it immensely. And you know when you hear something on the radio, how it sounds a little different? Well, Andrew's going to explain what that is, what radio processing is. Because we all know that, I, I think we all know that when you put something out on the radio, it's being re-EQ'd and compressed and all this black magic type stuff is happening to the, to the audio that's being put out, which directly affects the discussion of the loudness wars, which is pretty interesting because Andrew's going to talk to us about what we do to our mixes as far as dynamic range affects the outcome on the radio and a little bit of that process. So look forward to having you hear that. That's just one facet of the discussion. And so just a little background here. I know Andrew because when I had my first incarnation over at KFOG uh, about three years ago now, when I first met him, I knew from, I think, within the first few sentences of us talking uh, beyond, you know, the, I'm Andrew, nice to meet you. I'm Matt, nice to meet you. I knew that Andrew was easily one of the smartest people there. That's my recollection. That's my perception of of that memory. This guy knows what he's doing, what he's talking about. He has survived many, many uh, program directors, uh, or you know, if we put it in kind of like political terms, he's a, he's survived many administrations, and he is an in demand guy there because he knows his shit, and that's really what it boils down to. So, I have great respect for Andrew and what he does and his knowledge. So I thought it was really kind of important to have him on the show. His world is, is a mixture of IT and audio and broadcast. And it's pretty interesting. It takes pro audio and it kind of explodes it a bit. Or I think he said in the interview, I think he said it's pro audio applied or something to that effect. Anyhow, Andrew Stern is coming up here and I'm really looking forward to, uh, having him be on the show. So hope you enjoyed as well. So uh, let's see. Um, I'm always trying to improve everything that I'm doing, whether that be how I mix, how I record, how my room is laid out, how the equipment is laid out. I'm always like, you know, I, I 
rearrange something. I get it to a point that I think is a better system. And inevitably within a, within a period of, we'll say, I don't know, maybe six months, maybe longer. I find ways that things have changed and, or, or maybe the methods have changed that you can do something. And I find different ways that I think work better. At least for me, they work better. I'm not saying that this is like the best way to do this, but uh, where am I going with this? I'm going with my backup solution. So in the past, I've talked a lot about crash plan. While I have enjoyed crash plan, I did find a service that is, I like the interface uh, better. I like the cost and I like the recovery should there need to be a recovery service. And this is all based on a cloud-based backup solution. So, so let me walk you through that really quick. So what I do is I've got a Drobo and that Drobo, uh, which is a RAID set of RAID drives, Google it if you don't, if you've never heard of it. And um, that's sitting on a laptop in my closet, in my bedroom. And it's always on all the time. And it's right now it's only a wireless connection. So what I do is ultimately when I'm done with a project, I will direct it to the Drobo into a specific folder. So if it's for a client, I have a client folder and then that, then there's a name for that client. So they get a folder and then I will then put the DAW session or, you know, whatever audio it is, it could be a, a, an isotope RX thing or whatever. It could be any kind of audio, even a mix, even a piece of whatever it is, it's audio. So it goes into that, that client's folder. And then that entire Drobo raid is backed up to a cloud. So in the short term, if I need to get to the audio, it's backed up onto this raid drive where it's got redundancy. So if one or two drives go out, it's okay. I just replace the drives. The data is not lost. If there's a fire or a flood, the Drobo is backed up to a cloud offsite. So up to, up until this point, I've been using crash plan. Uh, so that's changing. I'm making a switch over to uh, a new service that I heard about from uh, a future guest who I will not name just yet. And that guest told me about uh, Backblaze. And so I'm in the midst of, I'm actually almost uh, after several days, uh, completed a new backup to Backblaze. And I will discontinue my service with CrashPlan most likely, although I am contemplating just keeping the data up there and paying the price. I know that's just more money. So Backblaze is, uh, I think if you prepay for a year, it's about five bucks a month. I'll put a link. They're not sponsoring the show, but I just, you know, I think it's an interesting solution. And and I think it's a good solution. I like the interface so far. Everything I've read online has been positive. And also they're located in San Mateo, California, which is probably about roughly 45 minutes away from where I'm at. So up here in Northern California. So yeah, check it out. If you don't have a backup plan or you don't have some kind of system in place, you really should do it. Um, it just, it can pay off. And I'm, I'm a bit of a digital pack rat with files. Uh, so I figure that I, I've had a couple calls over the past several years where people call me up and go, Hey man, I lost the drive or I lost the audio and I really need it. I'm going to repurpose the audio for some kind of, you know, licensing thing in a video game or a movie or whatever it is. 
And if I have it, there is some potential income there. So it's a winner on many fronts because not only do you have the potential income, but you also have the chance to be the hero for the artist or the client because you kept that audio. And that's really a good thing, I think. So two reasons why you should hold on to that. Also, it's, I think, you know, why not? You know, if, if, if it doesn't really cost all that much in terms of space, then, you know, go for it. What do you got to lose? Except for, you know, a few bucks on the electric bill. Anyhow, that's the backup plan. I'm kind of rambling on, I know. Put together a backup plan and at least make it so that you've got something local and something offsite. Whatever that is, make sure that they're fairly robust solutions and they work together and make sure it's a system that is, you know, that's uh, easy to do because if it's hard, you'll forget about it. You won't want to do it. And then something's going to go down and you're going to be pissed off and you're going to lose some files and it's just going to be a drag. So that's, that's it. So that's my, um, that'll be my fatherly advice today. Get a backup plan, cut your hair, get a backup plan, go get a real job. Anyhow. That's it. So uh, let's jump into it here with Andrew Stern, broadcast IT engineer here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, yeah. Andrew. Welcome to my house. It's a great podcast experience. You can yeah. call this Studio Podcast One. Podcast One. So you and I, I know you because basically I came in to KFOG, I'm going to say it was three years ago mm-hmm. at this point to record and mix live from the play space uh, episodes with artists. And that's when I met you. Yeah. And so I've known you now for three, three or so years. When I met you, it was pretty clear from the get go because you were doing live sound within the context of these, uh, the play space at the old KFOG building. And I should mention that that's where we met. We met at KFOG in San Francisco. It was pretty clear from the get go from my perspective, I was like, wow, this guy, not only does he know audio, but he knows a whole lot of other stuff that's IT related, radio station centric Mm -hmm. technology. And I was pretty blown away. I was like, wow, (laughs) that guy's (laughs) like the smartest guy there. There's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. Mm. So we were talking about this on the phone last night. What technically is your job title at KFOG. So that's a funny one. And actually um, it's not just KFOG, it's it's KFOG, KNBR. Yeah, it's a cluster of stations because it becomes really hard to operate one or two radio stations because the cost is so great, especially in San Francisco. And this isn't just a San Francisco problem, but large radio groups and even smaller radio groups have consolidated um, several stations to a single building. And and those are called clusters. So for our company, we have our cluster, which is KFOG FM 104.5. It's KSAN 1077, which is branded as the bone. It is um, also KFOG is 97.7 in the South Bay. It's two signals to cover the entire Bay Area. And we've got 680 KMBR Sports. We've got 810 KGO News. We've got um, 560 KSFO, which is conservative talk. We even had a country station for a little while. Plus the silent stations, because they don't really come up that much, but each one of them is a full-blooded station with 
um, and AirPath, and you have to worry about STL and everything. And those are our HD stations. So HD simulcast is is also um, silent stations. Station. I call them silent because no one really talks about them too much, but they are full blooded stations. They're HD two stations. So um, just like uh, in over the air TV, how there's um, you may have you know channel two dot one. And then 2.2 and 2.3. Oh, okay. Um, radio has the same thing. If you have an HD receiver, and that's a system that was developed by Ubiquity, and they've been purchased by DTS now. So it's a it's a DTS technology. Uh, it's called HD radio. It's a, it's a standard, and almost all new cars coming out have it. You can buy an HD receiver, although it's it's kind of hard. You can still buy one. You can buy a little handheld unit, and it picks up the. Uh, the multiplex um, radio stations. So, f- for instance, um, the Bone KSAN uh, 107.7 has its main channel in HD, and then it has another carrier uh, which is HD2. And right now, that's airing uh, a country format. And a lot of people don't even know that we we do that. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's kind of complex. Actually. There's a lot going on within the context of with. I mean, with Cumulus. Uh, who's the company that owns this cluster, is mm-hmm. that correct? So there's operations going on in this building. I just had no clue. There's a ton of it. We have a lot of people coming, a lot of people going. Um, in the context of the sports stations, my God, there, oh, yeah. there's, there is so many people trying to do so many shows from so many different locations every single day. Full-blooded productions that have to sound good, have to get on. And we produce everything in a significantly higher quality than AM radio. Um, it's kind of like, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So we try to do the best job possible. Of course, it's going to wind up on AM, and you're going to lose more than half the fidelity. But, um, hey, at least we did the right thing. Right. And so we make sure that everything sounds pretty darn good before it goes out. So knowing that. Do you have a business card, and what does it say? Yeah, the job title. <laughs> that was that was a ways away from your initial <laughs> question. I call myself the broadcast IT engineer, and it was a title I kind of made up in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, because it kind of was what I did. I yes, I came from a, a computer background. Hey, you can use Winamp Shoutcast plugin to stream audio over here, and look, there's audio on a network. Hey, that was like a big thing, you know, back in you know the early two thousands. And a lot of people didn't get that. So there was the world of the broadcast engineer. And, you know, that's kind of your typical gray beer guy who um, touches the wrong part of the transmitter and gets a burn on his hand. (laughs) And then there was the IT guy who sits in a closet and slowly responds to people's calls, you know, when when Windows is broken. But that wasn't quite what I did in either of those. And so I felt like I, I did something kind of in the middle of that, which was IT and networking and um, telecom specifically for the broadcast side of life. So it's kind of an operations position, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I called it broadcast IT engineer, which is broadcast engineering with the fact that I understand how a computer works, <laughs> which is now an intrinsic part of the job, which the entire, I've, I've seen that job title pop up on websites all over the place. And it's kind of funny that it's, it's taken on a life of its own because as the skills required to work on computers have transcended almost every industry, especially TV, on the radio side, it's a skill that you have to you have to have, and so it's a it's a specific it's a specific hat that engineer has to and an an engineer has to wear. Is your job a union job? No, I am not a union employee. Okay, 
Are there union employees within the building? Yeah, we have union employees in the building, not in the engineering side, mainly the uh, the on-air talent side uh, and some of the um, the operators and producers, but not of the engineering side. Uh, we are not um, a union shop for engineering. Okay, interesting. And so when I come to the station and, and we do these shows, you know, like, for example, you know, just, and I'm kind of repeating this for the audience's sake, is that like, so Steve Earl comes in <clears throat> playing acoustic guitar. Yeah, that was great. In this space that is sponsored by Levi's and it's a beautiful space. Audience comes in, you're in the room, you, uh, you've uh, taken a DI and sometimes uh, an additional mic on the guitar and a vocal mic. And then of course there's the uh, host mic who's interviewing Steve Earle in this case. Mm -hmm. and, and in this particular show it was Matt Pinfield. So you're in the room behind a console mixing it for the room. Yeah. It, there's a split and it goes to me in the other room and I'm recording it in a Pro Tools rig. But then when I came back to, to have lunch with you one day, and you took me through the new building and you showed me like the whole infrastructure of what was behind the scenes. <clears throat> it really makes the live sound thing uh, not to diminish or demean that role. And I don't want to imply that at all. Because but I know, I think I know where you're going. It's such a small part of what you it do. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many more complex things that you do in the day that it's, is it kind of relaxing to do live sound? It is. Um, uh, I, I said earlier, I had to put on the hat. Uh, you you put on a different hat when you do the live sound engineering, and it is completely separate from the rest of the day and what I do. It's an entirely different focus. It's an entirely different way of thinking about things. It, it, it is a part of what we do at the station, and I think it's an important part too, and a lot of quality goes into it. And it's kind of like the goals of the recording. What are we trying to do? Well, the radio station needs to keep new music going, and we want to have a quality recording, and... We want to make the audience feel like, um, you know, that not just feel like, but to know that they were a part of the station, a private audience. They got to, you know, see the music up front and, and, and personal and really hear it, um, especially, you know, they're so close. They can hear the instruments. Um, we want to make sure the record company is happy. You want to make sure that um, the station programmers are happy and they're hearing the newest uh, music possible in a different way. Um, you want to make sure that the, we get a hot, nice, high quality, uh, recording in, uh, in Pro Tools for the CD that is put out, uh, which is a, um, something the station does for charity every single year. So there's, there's multiple goals of these concerts and they're constructed in a way where, okay, we're going to have the live sound portion of it. We're going to have the recording portion of it. We're going to have the video side of life. Then we have the audience side where they, it has to sound good for them. Then the artists have to have um, confidence that, you know, their music is being faithfully represented by someone who doesn't normally mix them or have hands on with them. Um, so there, there's a lot of different goals of the recording, but I think the primary goal is probably the recording itself because that way we get it on, we get it on tape. Uh, we get it, we get it recorded and that way we know we've got it and we can um, play it back later in the radio. We can have it for the CD. We can do all kinds of things with the recording and we can get it in the hands of people who want to hear it. So that's kind of like the biggest goal of the whole thing. But it's interesting because just the complexity of what goes on in this station. I almost think of you as like the mayor of technology. <laughs> Cause I mean, 
you like so i'll get into these conversations with you these kind of rabbit hole deep uh technology conversations and it's pretty it can get intense i mean yeah you know quite a bit so that's one aspect the live thing that we do together when i'm not there and you're running the show um what's the most challenging part of your job from a technology standpoint like what do you what do you like what do you have to manage what's your day-to-day like so i i'll get to the question about the most challenging part but the that you talked about you asked about the day-to-day so um the day-to-day is literally the grind of of doing radio every single day it's one thing to do it a few times anybody can do that and they can do it really really well but to do it every single day repeatable you know for years and years and years is is it's not hard it's not you know the end of the world but it does take a toll so um the thing we do the most uh that really is kind of a grind is remotes remote broadcast that's kind of the hardest thing and that involves coordinating the talent who is who's going to be there the the engineering side who's going to be running the console how are we going to connect and that's been a a huge thing for us the past few years as the sunsetting of telephone of digital telephone networks is happening like isdn lines which are traditionally how we do a remote and their the replacement technology is either a private network or the internet and increasingly it's the internet how do we effectively make a remote happen across the internet at certain quality standards, at certain latency standards? How are we going to set up the right kind of gear? Uh, what are we going to send out on the road so that everyone can hear themselves? How, how much quality is going to go into it? How much flexibility is there going to be? Is the are, are, is the talent going to be able to adjust their own headphones? Are they going to control their IFB, their talkback levels? How much is coming from the station? Are we going to run separate feeds for a PA system? Um, that's probably, we do that the most, the most often, uh, remotes, um, especially when we, uh, we just recently, the, the news station, news talk station, we, we're not really, we, they, the reporters are no longer with the station, but we had a newsroom that was, that grind was incredible and it was crazy. And we had to, we had to accommodate everybody. And I have from low, low grade things from like, I recorded something on my cell phone and it's really important because it's a conversation with a politician to, okay, I need to set up this, you know, two way remote on my, um, uh, on their cell phone. They had a, we had a, a remote contribution, uh, application, uh, that basically turned an iPhone into a codec and, you know, higher things, uh, all the way up to, um, full blooded remotes for the news station. So we had um, a lot of things going on with that. We still do on the sports side, and that that encompasses just the remote side of life. The other part of the grind is, you know, we have people who produce commercials, and they need certain things and certain people coming and going, and so we have to make sure that all the sources are available on their consoles. We, we have a great facility-wide audio network by Axia, which is a part of the Telos Alliance, uh, so we can we can take any audio source and route it to any part of the building, which is great. And it's it's an audio over IP network, and it per- performs marvelously. The Axia network is a real time zero or or very 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 close to zero latency system, and that is all of our audio in house um, travels along it. So it's it's not and it's not just audio. It's 
Um, it's GPIO rides along that. What's is, some of these things you're going to have to explain? Sure, What's sure. GPIO. GPIO. Um, oh, general purpose in and out. Yes, yeah, general purpose in and out. Um, that's it's basically um, how machines communicate, and it's you can send a pulse of electricity, and you can um, be you can receive a pulse of electricity to signal something. So, like on a Raspberry Pi, exactly. When you have the GPIO GPIO pins. pins. Okay. Yeah. Um, the same the same concept applies. So you can have like a uh, you can have a CD player communicate. Uh, the CD player you know doesn't speak any other networking language, doesn't speak anything, but it has GPIO pins, and you can communicate the status of the the CD player. The CD player can communicate, okay, I have a CD and I'm ready by pulsing certain pins, and then it can also receive pulses. For instance, a, a board start. If the if the operator of the console presses a button on the board. Um, usually the on button for that channel, that will send a, a pulse to the CD player and that pulse indicates, hey, start playing the CD from this track right here, the track that it's queued up. Or, or something as simple as a tally light to indicate, hey, the studio is in use. You know, you, you turn any of the mic channels on and we have logic uh, stacks and the logic um, gets turned on if any of the mics get turned on and that indicates I'm going to send a pulse out to this um, to the network. We then have that network pulse received on a certain um, IO box called an X node and then that pulse is translated into a real world pulse and that goes out to a relay which turns the light bulb and the little on air light on. So <laughs> holy crap. Things, things as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, there, wow. there's a lot going on, I, I, that's, and that's just a, that's just a part of it. That's that's a very you know kind of a, a simpler explanation of it. Things, uh, our our whole the whole facility is a networked facility, and um, there there's a phrase kind of floating around, and kind of put out there called, "We built a data center that just happens to do radio." <laughs> it was just kind of funny, and that's the shape of things, not just for radio but for TV also. Our entire audio um, network is not a TDM router design. It's not based on old TDM designs. It's based on switched IP. Our telephone network is entirely um, IP-based. It's voice over IP, including the on-air call systems, our, our hybrids, our, all of our file sharing, all of our control the the entire the entire thing is IP based, which is great for flexibility. You can do a lot with it. it there's just a lot to manage. So these are ba it's basically, and I'm kind of recalling the tour that you gave me of the new building. It's basically a bunch of servers, is it not? In essence, yeah, you could say that. There's a lot of switches. We have to maintain the networks. We have to make sure they're isolated and secure and stable and um, there there's a certain quality of service on everything that's going on um, you have to make sure like our audio network has its own switch entirely a big giant carrier grade Cisco switch with four hours support so that if anything happens we hand them the smoking part and four hours later you know we, we, we know that if the worst possible situation happens and all system redundancies failure and this thing is n plus one to the I, you, I, there's N plus one for all the ports. There's N plus one for the controllers, for all the power supplies, what is for it? everything. What does that mean, N plus one? That means um, that for that component, there is a redundant component to back it up. Okay. So uh, for the power supplies, the power supplies, there's two power supplies. Each, of, each power supply takes two different feeds. Um, there are two different system controllers. There are multiple blades that talk to the system controllers and the blades are where all the ports are 
And if we have to, we can just, you know, fast plug into a, a different, a different blade and use different ports. What was interesting to me was in that tour of that server room, I'll call it for the audience. One, th one of the things that Andrew did that was a little nerve nerve wracking was, uh, he was like, okay, so check out, here's a, a node or a, or a, or a server uh, right here. Uh, and he just kind of willy nilly just unplugged it. And yeah. he's like, oh no, the power's gone. But really the power wasn't gone because there's so much redundancy that that yeah. had no effect on it. Another piece of the redundancy that we, we built into everything because you can't just turn radio off or, or try to, you know, you can't just reboot it. You know, it has to work all the time, all the time, period. End of discussion. Um, another piece of, uh, of the N plus one redundancy is, um, uh, and I'll start from a, a basic level. The system is comprised of IO nodes and they're called X nodes. And we have, um, we have these nodes in every single rack so that no audio travels further than the top of the rack. And then each of these nodes has, um, a data line back into the main switch. Mm -hmm. So if we, these nodes, um, you know, you can't, okay. If some cheap, you know, Chinese power supply fails, in a node, we can't afford that downtime. So the nodes have a built-in um, PoE. They can accept power over Ethernet um, power. And so um, I was talking about our switch earlier and how redundant it is. Each of the blades um, in the switch, um, each of the ports puts out uh, power over Ethernet. So not only is it doing the signaling for Ethernet, it's also sending out power. And that power goes to each of the nodes. And all in one cable, which is really neat. So the nodes can have their PoE power coming in along with the network. And they have a traditional um, power supply with an IEC connector. And so, yeah, I, what I did for you, I demoed. I can pull the power supply. I can pull the power out of the power supply, the IEC cable. And the node keeps on ticking because it immediately in real time uh, just switches over to the PoE power. And um, the one I did it on was... Um, one of the nodes that's hooked up to uh, an STL uh, system, an interplex, and an STL is a studio to transmitter link. That's that's what it stands for. Um, so if that if that node that was feeding the audio to the STL system went out, the station would have gone off the air. I mean, that's that's as live as it gets. So I pulled the power, but the station didn't go off the air because the node that was feeding it was also getting power from the um, the Ethernet cable plugged into it. So you're, you're it's like a, phantom power for networking, phantom power for networking. Okay. So here's a question. When I originally came to work over at KFOG, uh, you guys were on Hawthorne street. Now you're over, uh, in the kind of a North beach type area. Of yeah. I like to call it upper financial, upper financial Broadway and battery. They smile at you, but they, they'll still put the knife in your back. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you transition between the two buildings and keep the station on the air? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the music libraries were transferred between um, the building. And there, you can't really up and move a system. You just have to build another one and move into the other one. You get you get um, your old system. You build a whole new one. You transfer all the contents of the music, commercials, imaging, sweeps, PSAs. You transfer everything into the autom new automation system. You start both systems playing. And then you, you, when you have both systems are fully working, when the new, the new um, location's online and, and going, um, then you have someone throw the switch and you, have, um, you can have 
both STLs going to the transmitter. And then when the new station is ready to go, you have, uh, in our case, it was our chief engineer, our um, chief transmitter engineer, John. He, uh, he threw the switch and it turned the old STL off and turned the new STL on. And that way the new, um, uh, the new station was linked to the uh, transmitter and directly connected to it. And that was that. I want to talk a little bit about kind of leaning more back into the the pro audio end of things for our audience. No problem. Explain the uh, the radio processing aspect of a radio station and how that works. Like, sure. Why does you know why do you, and 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 how that directly relates to records that are played on the radio or songs that are played on the radio that are overly compressed and overly loud versus music that is got more headroom and a little more open. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you kind of have to understand the goals of what you're trying to do. So compression is, is an intrinsic part of radio broadcast to make sure the transmitter is working effectively with the most reach. Um, you have to compress period, whether you like to or not. And it can be a little bit, it can be a lot, but you have to do it though. I like to think that the goals of the amount of compression, limiting, processing, whatever you want to call it, are to, you want to know where your audience is, how they're going to listen, and how you can best set up the station to sound like like the station should sound, basically a, a, a signature sound. And you want to make sure that, you know, wherever the audience is, they can hear it. You want it to pop off the dial a little bit. You want it to stand out compared to your competitors, but you don't want to blow anyone away. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to create distortion. You don't want people to get fatigued. There's a lot of different goals. And, and so the and best- you, when you say overshoots, you're talking about 104.5 K fog does not need to, cannot bleed over onto 104.6. 1047, right? Or 1047. Yeah. That's right. because because what the FCC would yeah, frown upon. You don't, that? you don't I mean you have your you have your um you have your your RF bandwidth you have to stay within. Okay. And you can't um you have to maintain how much power you're putting out. You can't overshoot, you can't go um you can't rise above a certain power level. You want to protect and it's maybe not to pre- it's not to pre- it's not to go outside of your bandwidth uh you know to 1047. But it's to protect other stations who are on 104.5. Um, this is a bigger deal in AM and FM, not so much. But you can't rise to a certain power level that you start to affect other stations that are on that frequency somewhere else. You can't go above a certain power level. Right. Okay. Because 104.5 in the Bay Area is not necessarily 104.5 somewhere else. Right. Right. So. So you have to. You have to. Um, you you have to stay within your contour. You have to put out a certain amount of power. Okay. So the processing that takes place, mm-hmm. that, talk about a black art. Yeah. I mean, what the hell is happening there? <laughs> what's what's going on to the to the music that producers and engineers are are creating with artists? So I think um, I think producers are pumping up music to, you know, levels we haven't seen before. I think it's, I think some folks have backed off recently. Mm-hmm. I think they realized that, you know, music, you can't have, you know, a two by four of music with, you know, <laughs> a dynamic range of less than 1%. You know, you can't <laughs> do that. Um, so I think some folks are backing off, but um, they, you know, you have to have music that sounds good when it's coming out of the little speaker on somebody's cell phone and it has to, and it has to command people's attention. So, 
they're they're doing what um, producers are doing what they can to make that happen. That also means that music being mastered is going to come out that way for everybody. And so, you know, um, a radio station doesn't necessarily want music that has been pushed to the limit because we have our own air process that takes place. So you want to have a little bit of, of dynamic range built into the music about, you know, I, I'm not going to say three decibels is all you get because that's ridiculous, but you want to have some space there that a producer wouldn't, might not leave in. So by leaving more dynamic range, uh, music that's played on a radio station ultimately benefits because the air processor uh, can do more work on it. So an air processor um, typically was from one of two companies, Orban or um, Omnia. And now there's multiple companies doing it, but those are the two big guys. You would see a processor set up to have a certain sound. And sometimes it's this kind of empire state, you know, you know, earth shaking solar plexus, you know, bass rumbling, you know, blow the speakers out. Sometimes it's a, it's a lot lighter. Sometimes it's a lot more open. Sometimes you want to have, um, uh, sometimes you want the AGC to be really incredibly fast because if it's a, it's a voice driven format, you, you said AGC. Yeah. Automatic gain control. Yeah. Okay. Um, sometimes you want, you sometimes you want um not a lot of processing going on a station we you know we're talking about kfog in particular kfog has always been kind of a, a little bit more wide open not as compressed in all the bands um and it uh it is not as fatiguing to listen to it really lets the music breathe a little bit and by giving the music a little bit more room you let the air processor do the work um it can really shape that sound and I think um, when we have those recordings we do from the play space, when they're not fully slammed and bec because we make them ourselves, they don't go through some producer somewhere or some mastering guy who goes, oh, I'm going to make this thing sound great. And, you know, he runs it through a brick wall limiter. Well, that that's not happening. So the music is open. And so it hits um, uh, our air chain and our processor, you know, processes according to the way we think it should sound. And um, it, I, I think our process sounds pretty good. And how is that sound like determined and how is it, I mean, obviously you don't have somebody just like, you know, listening back over FM radio and some guy in another room going, how does that sound? Let me try this. Well, okay, you, okay, you laugh, but that's a part of the process. The goals of the station are that it sounds good for the most amount, of, the most listeners possible. And that is usually where the most people listening, well, in their car. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want the station to sound good where the most people are. And in our case, that is probably their car. So the thing to do is to get into a car, uh, representative of the audience, turn the station on, and then you have the processor in front of you and you say, okay, what's it going to sound like? And typically you start from a preset. You don't start from nothing. You start from a preset and then you adjust from there. So what are the things that are happening to the audio? Sure. There, um, there's initial AGC. There's initial wideband AGC. We have a new processor um, called uh, an Omnia 9. And this doesn't, um, for anyone who, who has a background of audio processing, 
this is not your typical Omnia processor. It's an entirely different box developed from a developer. He's not a developer. He's, he's an engineer. Um, his name is Leif Clayson. And this is something that came from a PC background. And this box sounds markedly different from any other processor you've ever heard before. Um, so it has different tools inside of it. A processor is just a suite of tools. It does multiple things at the same time. Wideband AGC. In our case, there is a stage called um, declipping going on. Um, and the, the trade name they have for that is undo. Then there's multi-band <laughs> processing. Hey, hey, it's it's <laughs> true. <funny. laughs> the whole the whole point is to undo what's been done to the audio. Right. Um, and it it it, it is um if you want to try it, anybody can try it. It's actually, uh, it was written initially as a VST plugin by a guy named um, Hans von Zutphen. And it's uh, it's called Perfect Declipper. So if you just look up uh, Perfect Declipper uh, in Google, you can, you'll find it. You can download it as a demo. Um, and he, it, it is what it is. It, it, its name implies it is a declipper. And it looks at music. Um, it, it looks ahead. It, it, it finds, according to the uh, multiple algorithms he's written, and he gets paid pretty decently for the uh, the plugin. And I don't think anyone else gets paid like he does for a declipper plugin. I think he figured something out that a lot of people haven't. It effectively declips music that's been pushed to the brink. It does a great job. It's And that's just one of the tools inside of the processor. So it goes through the undo stage, which declips it. Um, it then goes through uh, multi-band processing. Uh, then those bands get joined back up together again. And then there is another stage of uh, AGC that happens. And then there is final limiting. And you can dial up as much limiting as you want or as little as you want. Um, and then there are the uh, the audio outputs. And you can have digital outputs, analog outputs, different destinations. Huh. And that's that's a that's a simplified um, example. If you go to if you Google um, Omnia Audio uh, and you look for the Omnia Nine, uh, most process manufacturers have a little block diagram of exactly the processes that the audio goes through, and there there are certainly more than that, especially for um, a box as complex as the Omnia Nine. It also does things like um, uh, on FM, it does RDS signal generation. What's that? Uh, RDS is radio data systems. It is um, metadata that gets embedded on the FM signal so that when you turn your car stereo on, it has the title of an artist. So it does that inside of the box. Instead of being a separate box now, um, that's embedded in the processor itself. Um, and that's just one tool. The processor can process multiple streams of audio for your different multiplex HD stations. It can, it can generate... Um, uh, a processed audio feed for your streaming encoder. Um, it can do um, spectrum analyzer work so you can watch what you're doing on screen. Uh, it, it does a lot. So that's interesting. It, and it, and it, a processor is kind of the heart of a station sound. Is that a guarded secret? That the particular, like, is that the secret sauce of KFOG? Yeah, I would say for most stations on the dial, how they process is is kind of their secret sauce and you know most people will deflect they'll try to you know say oh it's not a big deal or you know hey hey this isn't such a thing but um it, it is one of those secret sauce things 
immediately I think, okay, there could, there could be this plugin that you could dial in presets and, you know, we have these plugins now where we can, you know, we can listen to how a mix is going to sound as 128 kilobit MP3 if we want. Mm -hmm. I wish that there was a plugin where we could say, well, what, what would it sound like on KFOG? <laughs> what would it sound like on the bone, you know, or some other station in the yeah. FM dial or the AM dial. Um, but those, those processes are processes are, are very, closely guarded yeah a little bit um the best thing to do would be to <laughs> buy one of the boxes dial in a preset and listen to the output that's a <laughs> what, are, what, what do those boxes cost <laughs> that's as close as you can get uh they cost anywhere from um, on the low end you're going to see five to seven and on the high end you're going to see 10 to 15 wow so i know that you know, mastering is not an expertise of yours, but you have had exposure to mastering and you, you know what, that that's the final step in the process uh, after something is mixed in the record production process. This is almost like... And not just for loudness either. It's the same thing. Processing is like mastering, but for radio. We don't, it's not just used for loudness. It's used to enhance the overall sound and enhance the overall mix of frequencies to do dry voice detection automatically, you know, so that, you know, if it's just a voice, we don't apply the same process as, you know, we're applying for the music that when certain songs are played on the radio, that it triggers different levels of processing. So the box is kind of like a little, I, I, I don't want to belittle anybody, but it is, it's like a little mastering technician in a box as, as automated as much as possible. And that's, and it's almost, it's, it's like a second level of mastering for stuff that's been mastered. Correct. What's yeah. interesting to me. And, you know, I have many, many friends that are mastering engineers, so I certainly don't want to offend them, but I mean, I did a mix the other day and like within, I texted you, I was like so blown away by it. I did a mix of a show we did for the band The Struts. Yeah. Glam Rock is back, baby. Glam Rock is back. And I pushed that mix up to Dropbox. You guys grabbed it. And it yep. was on the air within a couple hours. Yeah. Or, or an hour. I went out and drove around in my car when it came on the radio because I just wanted to hear what it sounded like. And it sounded, I got to say, it actually sounded as I expected it to sound meaning that I, I mixed it here at home and then sent it to you guys. And it wasn't that different. It just sounded like it was on the radio. And it, <laughs> it raised a lot of questions for me. It was just like, well, wait a minute. So this didn't get mastered, yet here it is on the radio with plenty of dynamic range and the radio processor doing its thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it. and I kind of mentioned it the other day when we were setting up for a show. I said, well, you can almost do a whole separate set of mixes for something that don't get mastered and have a shit ton of headroom. Absolutely. Yeah. And that would just be for radio. Yeah. And it would be great if record companies and producers did that. They do not because it's not a part of how they think about it, but a record or a single would sound that much better if it hadn't gone through so many steps of mastering, of processing, of I'm going to, you know, throw this, you know, I'm going to throw L3 ultra maximizer on it and go nuts. You know, well, maybe, maybe why don't you hold off there? Is it L3 or L1 or L2? L2. There's, there's multiples. You're right. 
um, I've got this crazy 31 band process, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, just, just do the mix. Yeah. Leave some headroom. It'll sound great. Yeah. And that's exactly it because we have our own process that will kick in or maybe do your mix, but maybe, you know, lighten up back off as much as possible. Um, to the point where you think it's just good enough and it doesn't sound sweetened up for somebody's, you know, iPod headbuds. Yeah. Interesting. It, it was fascinating to hear. And, and it, like I say, it just, my mind started to go nuts about is, is the process that we've all been subscribing to for eons, the right thing to do now. I realize that you, you create something for a medium and mastering for vinyl is a different medium than mastering for CD or a download. But no mastering at all for, say, a single started to come into my thought process. And I thought, huh, for a single that is destined for radio. Obviously, exactly, yeah. this would not work as well as a streaming thing. No, no, not, it, it wouldn't at all. But it, it, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's what's the medium? How are people listening to it? Um, and if it's intended for radio, understand that it's going to go through the radio air chain, which includes the radio station's processor. And you don't want to pump it up so much, you don't, because it just, it's just going to get pumped up again and again and again and again as it goes through the stages of the station. And some stages, some radio stations are very good. Some are not quite as good. Um, and you'll, you'll find it, you know, varying degrees of quality through different air chains, but nonetheless, it's still going to go through that chain. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the interview here with Andrew Stern here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. want to take a sponsor break for a sec and uh, want to bring up a potential idea for you. You know, as we usually do, we always like to take a sponsor break here with Audio-Technica. And, you know, I was perusing their page the other day, audio-technica.com, and I was, to be honest with you, I was just checking out their turntables from, you know, just for my own entertainment and thinking, hmm, maybe I should get a turntable. Uh, you know, Audio-Technica has been in the business of, transducers starting with phono cartridges since 1962 so that was something to consider of course but you know then i started to think is there a market for an added income stream of digitizing vinyl where i live and you know i don't know the answer yet it's something i'm thinking about maybe you want to think about it too and i think audio technica offers a, a range of turntables in price uh, i think 99 dollars on the low end up to like 500 dollars on the top end and I thought, I should get a really good turntable and uh, digitize some vinyl for some folks and then use the DAW tools and stuff that I have to clean the stuff up. I don't know. It's a possibility. And, you know, I haven't thought it through, to be honest with you, but it's something I did consider and I thought I would mention it here on the show and here in the sponsor, sponsor break, especially since I was looking at the Audio-Technica website at the time. Um now, when I say a good turntable, you know, some of you may argue, well, you know, it's not, you know, an audiophile turntable or whatever. You know, to be honest with you, I'm not after, you know, an audiophile turntable that is going to please audiophiles and is going to cost the price of a house in the Midwest in the United States. No, I'm looking for something that uh, is not going to break the bank, that is well built and working class in its in its approach. So uh, that's what I'm thinking about. So it's kind of a, an odd sponsor break in that uh, I'm just kind of thinking out loud about possible income streams, and it just kind of happens to coincide with Audio-Technica and the products that they offer. So uh, I don't know. Think about it. Audio-Technica.com. Check out the turntables. Maybe you just want a cool turntable. I don't know. But if you can make some money out of it, 
all the better. Then you can justify the expense. Uh, I think that's I think that's a, a good way to go. So that's my turntable audio technica rant for today. So uh, yeah, check it out. Think about it. Income streams with our friends at Audio Technica. All right, well, let's get back into it with our friend Andrew Stern here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Here's something you didn't answer. What's the most challenging part of your job? People. People. <laughs> this job would be great if it weren't for all these people. All oh, these damn jocks <laughs> and sports people. Yeah, yeah. Um, every day is different at a radio station, and every problem is just slightly different and just unique enough where you can't lean on anything you did before, um, at, or at least at our radio stations. And so not knowing how to do something, not being in command of a situation isn't great. Dealing with people who don't want help or aren't going to accept it is not great. Um, hmm. And that happens with a lot more regularity. It's just like any other job. <clears throat> um, you know, there, there are certain elements of the job that are a grind. But, you know, with so many things being different every day because there are people coming and going and processes changing – you know, I, I, I don't, I don't like getting lost in equipment problems because, you know, there's a certain point where I have to say, okay, I have to move on. And if the equipment is that much of a problem, I'm just going to replace that piece of equipment. Um, so that's really not the end of the world. Right. I think recently, um, a big challenge for us has been security of everything. Um, our entire facility is network based. And so we have to make sure that our networks are secure. That's a huge part of our oh, job. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure that everything's isolated and secure and that there's, you know, as much as possible, people are using two-factor authentication. That's something that that in, in, a, in a network-based facility, that becomes actually a, a large deal. So for the audience that hears this and maybe they've tried to uh maybe they're not interested in making records for a living or maybe they're having a hard time at it and they really want to consider uh some careers that are audio based at a radio station um to be the most employable uh what do you think people should do to prepare should they just try to like be a you know jack of all trades kind of person when it comes to audio and computers and all and all that a jack of the trades you understand. Be, <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> as as much as you can, as much as you can own um, a specific type of knowledge, um, and people know that you know that, and you your advice is consistent, and you have a reputation for being the right person with the right information. Um, that will make you, um, untouchable. <laughs> that means you get hired somewhere and you're not going anywhere. If you can own a specific piece of knowledge that everyone has to have, um, and, and be the voice of authority. You've kind of grown into your position though, in terms of, I mean, you certainly didn't know everything when you came into your job. No, no, not by, not by a mile. No. I mean, there's a lot of technology. There's a lot of acronyms. There's a lot of, um, uh, you have to understand the flow of how the station is working. Yeah. And how specific technologies work too, because you have to be able to, in, in, in a station environment, you have to be able to respond to emergencies fast, not, you know, a minute from now, not five minutes from now, but right now. And so you have to kind of have an intrinsic knowledge of, okay, well, this, 
audio passes here, it goes through this box, this box does these things to it, and then it comes out these outputs, it gets over here, it's monitored here, it then gets transferred back over here. And you know, you have to kind of have, you have to think like a signal would and just, you have to, it's gonna flow here and here and here, it's gonna go in here, it's gonna come out here. So is there a constant influx of, say, people that you train so that not really, no. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, there's no. I mean, there's there's a lot of people who. If you um, got hit by a bus tomorrow, they'd be screwed. No, they wouldn't be screwed. They'd be fine. There's there's people who know how to do it, but they're kind of, they're they're few and far between. There's there's um. I mean, every single every single large TV group now has somebody like me who does what I do. Every single large radio group has somebody who does what I do. So there are people who do it you can pick it up. It just takes a certain amount of time. And it, you, you said earlier, um, you have to be a jack of all trades. Yeah, you kind of do. And you don't have to have a hundred percent depth in every topic, mm-hmm. but you have to have um, access to people who do, and you will pick it up and you will learn it and you will have a little bit of indoctrination by fire. You will go through that storm and you will come out the other side and you'll be okay. Hmm. And you'll know how something works and how to fix it and how how to get a situation under control. And people will listen to you when you tell them because they know that you know. Hmm. Uh, and to wrap it all up, I mean, I assume that they pay you well and, and that's that's a job that you're happy to have. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to have the job. Um, I love it. I come to work every day. And I, I do love what I do. There are elements of it that are frustrating and some parts of it are hard and it is a job. And just like any other job, there are parts where you get frustrated, but you, you, you deal with those. And if at the end of the day, are you incredibly happy with how things turned out? Yes. And you get to use your brain. Yes. And you get to hear all this great music and work with great producers and meet interesting people and hear different points of view and kind of have the world come to you a little bit, which is pretty neat. Interesting. Well, I think, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for uh, enlightening me and the audience on a very complex and in-depth world of radio. Oh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a hell of a lot going on, That's to put it mildly, yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, sure thing. Awesome. There it is, Andrew Stern on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I hope your head is not spinning too much from an incredible amount of great information to digest. I want to thank Andrew again for being on the show. It's, uh, it, was, it was good to hear a lot of that stuff. A lot of stuff you may or may not know, but you know, I thought it was good to have him on anyway. So there it is. We are out of time. So, of course, I want to thank Cliff Truesdale for his music, Chuck Smith for his voiceover, and Cole Williams for his help with social media and YouTube and all that stuff. And I want to thank our sponsors, GearSleds.com, Focal Monitors, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. And again, thank you for tuning in and listening. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, 
and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. 